He's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Martians. This episode was written by Deborah Blum and Robert R. Long. It was produced by Deborah Blum. And again, there's no director for this episode. So apparently that just wasn't a role they filled on the show. I mean, there's not... Without recreations, I'm not even sure you need a director. Yeah. I've actually thought that maybe we start listening to the editor for the episodes, honestly. Oh, that might be good because, the yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's more of an editing job. As always, the series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And this episode originally aired on Saturday, May 21st, 1977. Ooh. So, as always, we open with Leonard Nimoy's narration. And he says, Earth the third planet from the sun for uncounted thousands of years, man looked to the sky and wondered if they were alone. Finally, there were machines that could travel into space. Men walked on the moon, but found no sign there of other intelligence, but there are eight other planets moving around the same sun that kindled life on earth. Could it have happened only on our planet? a spark that could evolve into intelligence, the winter of 1976 would see another great step in search of life on other worlds. Wow. And then we have opening credits. Do, 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 do. That's not the music. Yep. And then uh, we get that little break in the credits where he comes back in and he says, the planet nearest Earth glows redly in the night sky. What common heritage might these two worlds have? (gasps) Also, I don't think Redley is a word, but okay. I mean, I guess it is, but it's just, it's weird. It's weird to do the adverb thing with a color. I guess it's not. I don't know. (laughs) It's just weird. Redley, it grows redly in the sky. Like you usually just say like, it glows red. I don't know. Anyway, it's just weird. (laughs) Anyway, we're in search of Martians. Hey. And then we get our theory and conjecture caveat, right? So, you know, just aware so and we might as well get this out of the way like right now because tori and i were kind of excited but it turns out so this episode was obviously produced after july 20th 1976 but it was definitely before january of 1977 because unfortunately many of the images taken by viking one were not immediately available one in particular which was taken on july 25th 1976 would not be released until January 1977 and that picture was the face on Mars so sadly oh. we're not going to get any face of Mars in this episode no which I actually would actually love to hear a good discussion of that because I remember being really fascinated by that when I was a kid yeah, even well, though I mean, we I'm all sure know we would have got a good discussion but anyway that's true so- yeah <laughs> we all know it's pareidolia but like it would be nice if you know I don't know. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God, someone built a face on Mars. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway. Yeah. So sadly, no face on Mars stuff this episode. Nope. You'll have to watch Space, the X-Files episode, if you want some (laughs) face on Mars. Yeah. (laughs) Which we talked about how you should not even have it in the episode. No, it should not have been. (laughs) Yeah. They should have gone with it in search of model and just been like, nope, not doing it. But search of didn't have a choice in it because they were just too early. Yeah, I wonder if they were like just like ah when that came out. 
Probably. So. They're probably like, oh, that would have been great. That would have filled like three minutes. Yeah. We could have had, we could have just focused on it and had Leonard Nimoy say something profound about it. And it would have covered like half the yeah, show. I don't know if they would have wanted Hoagland to be on the episode though. So, <laughs> or he would even do it. But anyway, so uh, we start the episode and we found that long, long before there were men, the sun was an insignificant cluster of dust and gas. Mass became energy and then energy became mass. And then nuclear fusion created the sun and has fueled it throughout the millennia. The planets were the cinders left by the birth of the sun. And the same process was at work all over the universe. Uncounted stars, uncounted planets, uncounted possibilities for life. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Most of what we know about space has been learned only in the latter half of the century, the 20th century. We're in the 21st century, for those of you keeping track. It would be arrogant to suppose that we've done more than begin to ask the right questions. Of course, before space probes and computers, people had imaginations. <laughs> yes, they did. Thank you, Inserta, for bringing that to our attention. <laughs> also, I just want to say, in this episode, Leonard Nimoy is wearing this pink turtleneck with a tweed blazer, and it looks really good on him. It's just very, very 70s. Like all his clothes in the show are incredibly of the time. But this one especially just looks like if you were to like ask someone to say, how do people dress in the 70s? Like this would come to mind. It's very 70s. Yeah. I would say it's more of a light salmon color. Sure. Honestly, than sure. Pink. But it goes good. Like the tweed jacket is like light to medium brown. And then like it's got mm -hmm. like this beige pan. I mean, like you said, it works. It looks good. Yeah. It's a so, nice outfit for sure. But. Yeah. So then we learn about this artist and filmmaker named George Malaise. And he had a vision of what man walking on the moon might be like. And this is in like the 1800s, the late 1800s. So well, the movie was in 1902, I believe. That he yeah. So he starts so. imagining this, right? And then they make this little movie. And it's, you know, a very old timey movie because obviously that's the technology they had. But it shows men in top hats and they like get out of the spaceship and then they encounter these aliens. And of course, they fight the aliens because obviously, yeah, that's how it goes. And then they, you know, get back in their spaceship and come back to Earth. But Nimoy tells us that his view of their return to Earth, which includes like landing in the ocean, is similar to Apollo's flashdowns and recovery. So he kind of got that part right. Oh. Which, I mean, I guess if you're thinking of something like hurtling through space and then through the atmosphere and onto the planet, you're thinking, where could it land safely? Yeah, the ocean's probably going to be your best yeah. bet. I believe the movie was actually based on a couple of short stories, one of which was written by H.G. Wells. That I'm is sure entirely that possible. An original idea by Malaise. Because I, I yeah. would know him about, like, they're, like, he, he, he has, like, a brother or brothers, and they were, like, big into photography and early filmmaking, that kind of stuff, so. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about astronomer Percival Lowell, who built an observatory in Arizona in 1894. Ooh. And the observatory had a 24-inch refracting telescope that was the most advanced of the day. And his observations of Mars and then the conclusions he drew about them made him very controversial. Ooh. But they, they don't tell us why yet. They just tell us that he is very controversial. And then we talk about Arizona journalist William Hoyt. And Hoyt wrote the definitive biography of Lowell. 
And he tells us that Lowell thought there was intelligent life of some form on Mars, which he deduced because he saw what he thought were canals on the red planet. So I guess that's his controversial opinion that he saw these, like what he believed to be canals on the surface through his telescope. And so he thought there must be life up there. Yeah. Cause the canals, well, the canals, from what I remember, those have been seen since I think like the 1600s. Yeah. And then it was a translation. They were, it was like, canales or something from like italian i believe and so it was a mistranslation because i think in italian if it was italian that actually means like lines or something and then we translate it to being canals and so that when he saw them it like was confirmation that they were also the canals and so canals Mm -hmm. would obviously mean people or something right because they don't just show up by themselves you gotta dig them so yeah and lowell died in 1916 but his observatory is still in use today Yep. Which is true both when this was made and also today in 2022. Yep. You can go and do that. You can actually even like register for private like viewings at the observatory. Like you and a group of friends can come and like observe the stars like privately, like with no one else there because it is open to the public. So nice. Yeah. So the canals, it turns out, were actually optical illusions based on like the lens technology both way back when and in the late 1800s but the events of 1976 have proven lowell right on many of his other observations and then hoyt continues talking about us because again he wrote like the definitive biography on lowell and he tells us that lowell believed that mars to be in a terrestrial state of his evolution which there's a word for what the earth is in because earth has water and terrestrial like when the water's gone it's mainly just all land so a terrestrial state of evolution, the state after the one that the Earth is currently in. And he believed that Mars had lost its oceans, but that it did have oceans at one time, and that this process was beginning to happen on Earth. Mm-hmm. And I think he actually like coined the term desert the desert not not the desertification, but there's another word that is similar to it that involves the word desert as a root that he coined apparently. So I forget what it was. Super good at this job. Anyway, Nimoy asks us, could it be that some Martian scientist had been able to warn his people in time, just like on Krypton? Like they probably put like little baby Martian in the rocket and like, uh huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because this is where the episode kind of takes a turn and it's not really talking about looking for Martians so much as like dire warnings for human beings. But anyway, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. So at the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, scientists like Harold Klein are studying the similarities between the Earth and Mars. And Klein says the general theory as of now, again, 1976, is that both Mars and the Earth were formed at the same time about five billion years ago. One would then postulate that Mars had a much denser atmosphere than it has now, and perhaps it was conducive to the origin of life. And, and water would have been essential for the creation of life as we know it. And then Gerald Soffin, a Mars geologist, tells us that Mars was once a hydrological planet. There is currently no flowing water on Mars, but he says we now know, so again, 1976, that the poles have frozen water on them. And that somewhere along the line, Mars went one way and Earth went the other. Mm-hmm. He says it's possible, not likely, 
but possible that we might discover if there is life on Mars, that it was part of the same event that created life on Earth. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So possible. <laughs> but again, he says not likely. Yeah. No, he's he's more of a realist. Like he's the guy that they probably had to prompt to say that by making him repeat it like 10 times. Like they probably <laughs> kept asking the same question. And he's like, no, you're not going to find life on Mars. No, no. Mm-hmm. What if this? OK, OK, if. Well, he says they'll probably find life on Mars and he, and he thinks there probably was life on Mars, but it's just the whether it was related to life on Earth for me. Yeah, where he's that's like, true. That's the part where he's like, that's not probable. It's possible, but probably not. Yeah, well, because what this episode is positing is that Mars went through some kind of climate change that made their planet uninhabitable, and so they came here. That's basically what they're trying to spell out for you. In case you were curious or you weren't following along because you aren't actually watching the show, that is what they're leading. I mean, ask John John. That's basically what he tells you. You know, Martian Manhunter, all those people died. So bad story. Anyway. So then we're at the mission control at the jet propulsion lab. And Nimoy tells us that it is from here that an ambitious undertaking will be directed. The target is Mars, 212 million miles from Earth. The journey will take 11 months. Too long for man now, but not for his machines. Whoa. And then on August 20th, 1975, the Titan Centaur lifts off from Cape Kennedy and it's carrying Viking 1. It will go where man cannot for the present, obeying commands from Pasadena, which is where the Jet Propulsion Lab is. And then 10 months later, Viking 1 enters Mars's orbit. Well, an instrument package descends to the surface. Ooh. Yeah. Did they teleport it, like with transporters? Um, No, I think they had to (laughs) fly it down. I I don't think we had transporter technology yet in 1975. Or 76. I don't think I we mean, have that. Star now. Trek was like in 67, and that's like they're just telling you what, what the future. I mean, I guess that's the future. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but it takes place in like when it's like a couple hundred years from now, even 23rd so. century. Yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. It's a little while, a little while to go. And Soffin says that we chose Mars because it's our sister planet to Earth. It's also closest. It's also, yeah, it's the closest with a. A surface we can land on. <laughs> yeah. So that too. That's yeah. also. I mean, in theory, technically, Venus is our sister planet because it's similar in size. Mars is much smaller than the Earth, but mm-hmm. Venus is a hot mess, man. Yeah, literally. you cannot land on Venus. You can just mistake it for a UFO, but that's about it. <laughs> and the first Viking lander touched down on July 20th. 1976 which actually july 20th is the date that james duhan the guy who played scotty passed away oh. which i know because it's also not in 1976 though no and it's also the day my dad passed away so that's why i know oh. that. <laughs> but also not in 1976 so your this dad is the- scotty no my dad oh. is not james duhan but they they did die on the same day so like literally the same day no same day of the, the same year date. Okay, not gotcha. the, the same date not the same Okay. year but anyway that's july 20th I'm really but also, confused. all right cool yes <laughs> but also if that's on the viking lander touchdown woo! okay and the samples the lander gathers are very interesting klein says it's consistent with heavy surface activity and may be consistent with the presence of biological organisms whoa yeah but dr leslie oracle points out that the tests are inconclusive 
Leslie, way to be a scully. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't give any evidence at all of compounds of previous life. It doesn't mean there wasn't life, but that they aren't finding it right now. And we should specify Dr. Leslie Orgel is actually a man. So he's British. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's called Leslie. So, yeah. There are a lot of, there are American men named Leslie. Yeah. 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 It's It's a time period thing. Yeah. It could, it's a genderless name. It could be anybody. Yeah. Klein says that if you want to postulate a technological civilization had once existed on Mars, you would kind of have to explain where it went. Cause like right now it doesn't look like this, like there's no buildings. There's no nothing, right? Yeah, like, there's, there's no ruins. There's nothing. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. There's not like anything. Yeah. Yeah. So possibly some kind of cataclysmic event could have buried everything. But at the moment, there's no evidence of this visible to the Viking mission or since. Honestly. Yeah, the rovers so. didn't find anything like that either. They didn't dig yeah. up ancient ruins. The or Viking, anything. I found out the Viking one rover was actually the longest serving. So there have been multiples that have mm-hmm. landed on Mars, right? But the first one was actually the longest running one until Opportunity. Oh, wow. So like they've, they've kind of all run. Assuming that they actually landed, we've had a couple kind of like, <laughs> land, right? Well, we don't know what happened to them. Right. But yeah. of all the ones that have landed, they've all kind of like exceeded their expectation, which is kind of cool. It is very cool. So, yeah. It is one of those things where it's like we send these things out and we're just like, okay, go do your thing. And like maybe you'll give us a little bit. And they've all done pretty well, like in terms of giving us mass amounts of data. So it's very cool. Yeah. Scientists believe that the Mars atmosphere once resembled our own and then something happened. And Earth is not immune, so it could happen <laughs> here. <gasps> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't disagree that things can happen to change our atmosphere. Obviously, we are going through intense climate change right now as the weather is constantly showing people whether they want to believe it or not. Uh, we in the Pacific Northwest just had like the hottest time on record. Like we had this heat dome and like, yeah. And I know right now in New York and Texas, everyone's having like all four seasons in like a week. And so, yeah, the world is changing, but yeah, yeah. It's like hot and sunny and then it's like raining and ice rain and stuff. It's really, and they have no power because that, well, if you're in Texas, yeah. Cause yeah. Oh, I feel bad for everyone in Texas. Cause that, your governor is not helping you out and that power grid is set up for corporate greed and corporate profit only not to help people. What? So it's That's a great crazy. system. Yay. Crazy everything. <laughs> yeah, Capitalism is great. But well, I mean, I that's ca- kind of what they assumed happened with Venus. I mean, it's kind of a different end, like Venus and Mars kind of went different directions, uh-huh. but it's kind of like they, they assume what happens going on Venus is that Venus got trapped in a greenhouse effect. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it just vicious cycle, just boom, 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 boom. boom. And so, something similar could happen to earth so we could go venus way we could go mars way it kind of yeah depends so yeah cool either way yeah awesome because none yes. of the planets you can live on right now so no nope. <laughs> it's not really a good forecast <laughs> either way so and then nimoy mentions three theories of what may be happening to earth right now including human driven climate change which is what we now know to be the truth yeah. That is, that is what's happening right now, and if you don't believe, yeah, it, we knew about that a long time sorry. ago. This is something new. We knew about it no, we've known about it for a long time, but there were a lot of. I mean, it's just like cigarettes. Oil companies have paid a lot of money to suppress information and put misinformation out there. And yeah, not that oil companies pay to suppress tobacco 
but you know. no, but like information about yeah. how fossil fuels harm the planet, stuff like that. Anyway, yeah. we could talk all day about that, but that would probably be a boring episode and you don't want to hear about that because that's a I mean, it might not be because I'm sure we'd both go off the rails. So it'd be, it'd be interesting listening <laughs> to crazy people. But anyway. Yeah. Oh. And then, of course, man has done worse things than pour smoke into the sky and we get images of atomic bombs going off. So, yeah, which out of context, if you're not watching the episode and just listening to it, it sounds like he's saying like, but climate change, man has done much worse than put smoke into the sky. And you're like, wow, he's really taking a turn there saying it's not a big deal. (laughs) But then you look at the image and it's like atomic bombs. You're like, oh, that's what he means. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, Yeah. Yeah. And then it's possible that someday all of Earth will look like a desert. (gasps) Because Mars and Earth have much in common. Perhaps Viking didn't see all there is to see, which I think is a good guess. One rover and one satellite are not going to capture everything, so that's fair. Yeah. Although they keep saying that there was two landers. When I was doing the research, I could only read that there was one lander. So I'm not sure. Maybe one was a mobile and one was stationary. So they don't count it as a land. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But they do Maybe. mention the like, like the first one lands and then like one six week later. And then they keep using plural in the episode like the scientists do. So I'm assuming they know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when I was doing history, like the history of Viking one. And then later Viking 2, which is in the 80s and doesn't discuss in this episode, obviously. The Viking 1, I can only find mention of one, like, lander. And so I don't know if maybe the other one wasn't, maybe it wasn't mobile. And so it wasn't, I don't know. Anyway, weird. That is weird, yeah. Yeah. Nimoy asks if mankind could recognize the signs of a civilization radically different from our own. So if there was life on Mars, would we know it if we could if we saw it? Maybe we wouldn't even know it. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's there. We just don't know what to look for, guys. Yeah. They're all predators and invisible. and We just don't know it. So Yeah. It's possible. If there were Martians and they knew what was happening to their own planet, perhaps they chose to abandon it. So, again, you know, planet Krypton, like we're just going to put the kid in a rocket and send it off or maybe multiple kids or all of us who knows anyway space habitats which may someday be used for travel to other worlds and may offer refuge in the fate of disaster so maybe they all jumped on like you know big giant space cities and are just like yeah going places having fun and then it'll be like the 100 where they have to finally get rid of people because they're running out of resources on the thing and then they have to send people back to earth and they send all the kids back to the surface and cool yeah that show is depressing it's very good but it's one of those shows where like i can't watch it because i tried and like it just stressed me out all the time like there was just yeah it stressed me out too much or like in 3001 3001 actually has some similar things to our theory about the jetsons and flintstones existing in science yeah 3001 everyone lives in like the geostatic like cities around the planet because the planet itself is not great but like some people still do live down there but like the advanced people live above and so yeah yeah kind of jetsons so sofin says the viking project is the beginning of not only our search for life on other planets but for the search for intelligent life it's a milestone in the course of humanity's destiny 
and then they talk a little bit about terraforming of planet Mars in the future and how we might, you know, mm-hmm. do that. We could, there's water there, right? You don't have to take it and just melt it and, and we could live there, maybe. Or send people there or, I don't know, yeah. create a space hotel that only billionaires can visit. Who knows? Planet Starbucks. Yeah, I have a wife and cats now, so I'm not as eager as I used to be. But for the longest time, I was always like, I will go to Mars and you can just not plan to bring me back. I'll happily <laughs> do that. Like, because I'll get away from all you. Well, don't they keep don't they keep coming up with like, I don't know if there's one in the works now, but I know that in the past there have been these like plans to do these missions and then they have to pick astronauts who are willing to go one way and, you know, stay there and basically like colonize Mars. But then I don't know if I'm just thinking of fiction stuff, but I swear there was like a project where they were going to like, well, I mean, in theory, people if you to Mars think about colonizing point, when, you, when people would, they usually weren't thinking they were coming back. Right. You were going to go there and like, right. It. You're going to go there um, and be there. You may have like supply lines, but like, you yeah, that's what so. I mean. Not, not abandon them out there, but like, you know, you would have, you'd be sending yeah. stuff because it's hard to go the other way until you have enough technology built over there to launch ships. Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I swear there was like a project at one point where they were like picking astronauts for the Mars mission and then it got scrapped or something. But maybe I made yeah. that up. Although in theory, it would be easier to launch from Mars and go to Earth than it is to go from Earth to Mars just because of the lower gravity. Oh, so yeah. It would require less energy to actually, you know. Yeah, you'd still orbit. need the technology so, to do it, though. <laughs> right. Right so. now, you, it would be hard to bring with you just out of the box. Flat but... packet, man. Just talk to Ikea. <laughs> I can't. Ikea Mars <laughs> Mars rocket. Yeah. There you go. Just bring it with you. All right. Anyway. SpaceX, Space <laughs> Ikea. There we go. Yep. Collab. So then we get Nimoy's closing narration. And he says, it is also possible to dream that should we reshape the Martian landscape, we would be settling an old, old account. Perhaps they did as much for us once. If we, on the other hand, are unique in the universe, the time is approaching when we can spread our kind to the stars. Stars are like, hell no, stay where you are. Don't be coming out here messing (laughs) things up. Yeah. And then we get the rest of the narration, which is Nimoy telling us that Albert Einstein believed the universe was shaped like a saddle. By traveling in a straight line, one could eventually end up where he started. With the universe, as with life, endings seem to merge with beginnings. Was the end of some undiscovered civilization on Mars the beginning of our civilization on Earth? Will our first steps on some dusky Martian plain be a homecoming? Only when we've been there can we prove or dismiss the notion that some calamity of nature or poverty of spirit might have overtaken apparent civilization on the fourth planet from the sun? It would do well for us to find out, for it's been observed that those who cannot learn from the past are condemned to relive it. Whoa. Yeah. And then it's closing credits. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the episode is not, I mean, it is about looking for life on Mars, but it's also just all this conjecture about how Mars life might have come here and then also how we might go there. And yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I guess it's a little too early for like water and rocks and stuff like that and trying to find like biological specimens because we don't really have the Mars rocks, right? We just have pictures. So 
Right. Well, and we have a net. Well, we have analysis because they are sending an analysis. Like the rovers are able to like to do like spectrometry and like yeah. stuff, and then send it back in the data. But yeah, we don't have we don't have physical stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we didn't find Martians in this episode. That's a bummer. Nope. No face on Mars yet. I mean, it's there. <laughs> we just don't know about it yet. So. And the Lowell Observatory is where Clyde Tomba discovered Pluto in 1930. We love you, Pluto. You're still a planet in our hearts. Mm. Uh, in my heart. And also, <laughs> yeah. Lowell's Mars observations, many of which were later proven incorrect, had a strong influence on science fiction. Mm-hmm. So even though he wasn't necessarily getting stuff right, the stuff he was reporting, you know, got filtered down and people were like, that's cool. And it got used in sci-fi. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah. And asteroid 1886 Lowell discovered in 1949, as well as crater Lowell on the moon and crater Lowell on Mars were named after Percival Lowell. The Lowell Regio on Pluto was also named in his honor after its discovery by the New Horizons spacecraft in 2015. Which is nine years after Pluto was kicked out of the planet club. <laughs> So, yep. Yeah, because it happened in August of 2006. And the Viking One Lander was actually originally supposed to touch down on July 4th, 1976, as part of the bicentennial celebration. But cameras showed that the intended landing site was too rocky. So they delayed the landing until July 20th, which was the sixth anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. So I guess it had significance either way. Yeah, I'm like, dude, let Viking have its own day. Like, why you gotta just be like jumping on? Like, <laughs> let it, let it, let it be its own thing, man. Because humans on. love connections. We do. We love our connections. We're ridiculous. Well, they should have landed on the moon on July Fourth. <laughs> there we go. Gonna mess things up. So, I mean, I did. They intend. I don't. Well, actually, I don't know when the moon thing was supposed to happen. But I mean, yeah, this was obviously supposed to be on the bicentennial. Uh, of course, I was alive. I remember the bic- bicentennial was a thing. Oh my god, people were losing their freaking minds about the bicentennial. I was six. Yeah, um, I, well, I was. It. I was almost six because my birthday's <laughs> the tenth. So, oh, so you were days away. Yeah, days I was away. Days away. Yes, days away from my birthday. Yeah, I just pretended they ever want to celebrate my birthday coming up. So, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, yeah. Howard Klein, who we saw in the episode, joined NASA in 1963 and was instrumental in the development of the Life Department at NASA's Ames Research Center and served as division chief when he was first hired. And then he was promoted to assistant director in 1964 after less than a year there. And then he served as director from 1968 to 1978. He was the scientific leader for the Viking biology investigation on Viking 1 and 2 Mars landers coordinating the development, construction, and execution of all the biology experiments aboard the spacecraft. So he was like an administrator kind of dude, behind the scenes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Although he apparently did handle all the press coverage. Not the oh, press okay. coverage. Like he he did handle like all the press stuff that went out after the first landing, like sending out like, you know, the, the, the paragraphs, the blurbs kind of thing, because they wanted to make sure to couch everything very well. But he was definitely more of a behind the scenes guy. And I think you kind of see that in the episode. You kind of like just kind of like you know sitting in a desk talking, unlike Sofin, who was kind of more like a public, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, Klein was the recipient of the NASA Exceptional Scientific Achievement Medal in 1977, the NASA Medal for Outstanding Leadership in 1981, 
and the Presidential Meritorious Service Award also in 1981. Nice. Yeah. And then after 21 years, he retired from the Ames Research Center and became scientist in residence at Santa Clara University in Santa Clara, California, which is also where the Ames Research Center is, by the way. And then he was also the senior research scientist at the SETI Institute, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence from 1985 until his death in 2001. Nice. Very cool. And after the Viking project ended in 1978, Gerald Soffin went on to become director of NASA's life science department. So there's a connection there, which was responsible for monitoring and ensuring the physical well-being of astronauts in space. So that's an important job. In 1983, he transferred to the Goddard Space Flight Center, which will come up in X-Files Season 4, where he focused... Yeah, there's a a lot of stuff that... Well, not a lot of stuff that happens there, but stuff is set there, so it's kind of interesting. And there he focused on establishing the Mission to Planet Earth program, which focused on predicting and understanding changes to our own planet. Oh. So kind of similar to what this episode is talking about, actually. Yeah. And in 1990... He transitioned to a focus on education, and he created NASA Academy, which is NASA's premier leadership training internship. Oh, is that part? It's like the NASA camps. Is that part of that? Like the kids camps? Was that? Part I don't of that? Do you think know? so. I think it's more okay. a leadership training initiative, not really for oh, children, okay. but like for leadership people. But I'm not entirely sure. Okay. And Soften died on November 22nd, 2000, at the age of 74. A crater on Mars was named Soften after him. And posthumously, one of the Viking two landers was also named Soften in his honor. He also may be the great, great, great grandfather of Spike Spiegel, who was born on Mars, assuming that people start being born on Mars by mid-2044. So because yeah. in the episode, they have the same freaking hair. Exactly. They do. They do. They- yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can see that for sure. Yes. I put pictures up. Yeah, there's pictures in our notes comparing (laughs) them. (laughs) It's a good comparison. Man, I haven't watched the Cowboy Bebop anime in so long. I need to rewatch that. (laughs) I also need to watch the live action one. I just haven't heard great things about it, which is too bad because John Cho is great. But uh, yeah, I just haven't heard amazing things. Yeah. Yeah, we may have to uh, put those up um, (laughs) on socials at some point. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, I saw this. I was like, oh my god, it's like Spike Spiegel hair. And then, like, I found a picture of Spike Spiegel wearing like the exact same color shirt as him, too, yeah. Which is in- <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. Uh, Dr. Leslie Orgel was a British chemist and it was known for his theories on the origin of life. He was actually one of the first people in April 1953 to see the model of the structure of DNA, which was constructed by Francis Crick and James Watson. Rosalind Franklin who is often left out of the whole DNA story, she had actually recently transferred. And so she was actually not there, even though her work actually played a very big role in the discovery of the DNA structure. So Hogel participated in NASA's Viking Mars One Lander program, obviously, as a member of the molecular analysis team that designed the gas chromatography mass spectrometer instrument that the robots took to the planet Mars. So again, that was how they're getting the data of the soil and that kind of thing. His name is popularly known because of Orgel's rules, particularly Orgel's second rule, which is evolution is cleverer than you are. The rules, and there are only two of them, were credited to him by Francis Crick, who he worked with directly at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in La Jolla, California, where Orgel directed the Chemical Evolution Laboratory. 
Nice. And then he died in 2007 in, I believe, in San Diego. So, okay. yes, he taught at Cambridge and then he immigrated to the United States. I don't know if he became a citizen or not, but he basically then most of his work was done in the United States. So nice. Yeah. I have a question for you, Tori. Sure. Why do you think they went with discussing Melis' Le Voyage dans la Lune, A Trip to the Moon, but did not mention War of the Worlds, which was actually influenced by Percival Lowell's observations and writings? Why do you think they didn't talk about War of the Worlds, but then talked about the moon stuff? I mean, if I had to guess, I would say it was probably two things. One, War of the Worlds is better known. So most people have heard of it already whereas this is interesting footage that they could tie to how spaceships actually work and then also it's funny to see men in top hats getting out of a spaceship Mm. and then the second reason would just be like in my theory here is that they didn't want to make life on mars seem threatening because that's not what they're looking for like i mean obviously Mm. in the voyage dans la lune they do like fight (laughs) aliens but like it's not the same. Whereas like here, they're just looking for evidence that life used to exist. And so I think War of the Worlds might have confused the issue a little because it's not like Martians who are going to attack. That would be my theory. But I don't know. I don't know the thinking behind these episodes. Yeah. Well, my thought was because we have visuals. Oh, that with, would help too. Yeah. And so you have something to show behind the narration. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, like War of the Worlds was influenced by Percival Lowell's observations, like the whole like they that kind of happened around the same time, right? Like because Lowell published his book in 1895, War of the Worlds is 1897, and so and H.G. Wells admits that he used some of that kind of information to help you know format because in the beginning of the story he talked about like you know why are they coming to Earth because their planet's like dying and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I was just wondering like there's no mention of like War of the Worlds or H.G. Wells at all. Which is interesting because, again, the trip to the moon was actually one of the two stories that it is loosely based on is actually H.G. Wells' first trip to the moon, I think is what it's called or something like that. So, yeah, hmm. so, yeah I was just wondering. I was, I was wondering. I had a thought and my thought was, yeah. was because there's visuals. I, I um, think that's a big part of it, too, because they have something to show because this is a TV show, obviously not a radio yeah. thing. So I was just wondering because they do that a lot on this where they'll talk about one thing. And then they'll kind of talk about something else and use that as a reason why this other thing should be true, even though they're not really related. Like they're using, again, they're, they're talking about, we're talking about Mars, but then they start talking about the moon and how like, and it turns out like they kind of did the, how we land with the Apollo capsules. And, kind of, and I was like, that's great, but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just curious. Like, yeah. I had a theory. I want to know what your theory was. So I think yours is probably... Also, because, yeah, you don't want to have the... The angry uh, attacking Martians. You just want, yeah. like, we're looking for life in soil samples. Like, we're not looking for actual civilizations under the surface. Although, maybe they're there. Who knows? We don't know. <laughs> well, I think in my- the caves, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe we had it wrong the whole time. Maybe it's not a hollow Earth. Maybe it's a hollow Mars. No, the Martians are living inside. We don't know. You just got to find the opening. Maybe, maybe. Probably under the ice at the poles. Oh, if, we, maybe. if we melt the ice when we're trying to terraform Mars, we're going to let all the Martians out. They're probably trapped in there. Maybe they didn't think it out very well. And like, oh, crap. Now we can't get through this ice. And then we're going to unleash Martians on the solar system. And I mean, I'm assuming they're not nice people. They might be super fantastic. We don't know. So <laughs> anyway, 
thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Hope you enjoy our crazy ramblings about. Yeah, this one was very rambly. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm in a rambling. I mean, they're all kind of rambly. They are because they don't give us a ton. It's a 22 minute show and they don't pack a lot in sometimes. And it's 45 years old. So, yeah, a lot of what they do mention is you're just like, that's not true anymore. What are you talking about? (laughs) Anyway, yeah, but thanks for listening. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Ooh. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next Wednesday as we go in search of Atlantis. Ooh. And try to figure out if If the the truth truth is still still out there. there. Posthumously, why can I not say posthumously? Posthumously, posthumously. That's why. Posthumously, <laughs> I'm not saying it correctly. That's why I can't say it because I I'm not even saying it in the right ballpark. <laughs>